0: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bobby Monks. He is a serial entrepreneur who has founded and led many businesses in the financial services realm, and he's got a new book out called Uninvested, How Wall Street Hijacks Your Money and How to Fight Back. Welcome to the show, Bobby. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Well, you said you're a serial entrepreneur, so just, just give us a brief idea of some of the things that you've started over the years.
2: Well, I started my career as a, as a real estate developer uh, and then uh, moved on to the uh, proxy services business. I was chairman of a company called Institutional Shareholder Services, which provides proxy services and voting services for institutional clients. I then founded a bank, um, and I've also been chairman of a trust company.
1: Okay, so uh, this book is called Uninvested. It's basically about how the, the typical shareholder, both in individual stocks and mutual funds, is really not getting a, a good deal. W- why do you see a, a, a need for this book? What, what is the? We're going to get into the details, but give it over well, the overall well, we'll message.
2: Trying to shine some light on Jordan is the fact that the individual investor is being systematically taken advantage of by this uh, uh, financial services industry. And by individual investor, I mean uh, anyone who. Uh, uh, has a 401k, anyone who has an IRA, anyone who invests in a mutual fund. And I'm not saying that every money manager is a boogeyman. What I am saying is the system is broken. Um and if you look at the fact that, uh, 90% of, uh, uh of the financial advisors don't have to put the interest of their clients first, or if you look at how fees are structured in our system, they're multi-layered, they're often obscured, often the client doesn't know how much they're actually paying. Uh, and it's the only business that I've ever been in where you get paid even if you lose the client money. So so what we try to do in the book is we try to uh, demystify for the average investor what the system is like, and then we try, try to provide some tools for them um, so that they can renegotiate their position uh, with their money manager uh, and so that they can have a relationship with their money manager, which is which we believe is fair and better for the average investor.
1: So isn't this kind of turning on the industry you grew up in and and worked in for a long time? Are you considered a, a turncoat by the industry here?
2: Um yeah I think to some degree I would be. I mean I I think uh uh you know there are there there are a lot of the folks that have been involved with the system um for for a long time who have uh similar complaints uh that I do uh and I think that part of the problem is that you know the, the if you if you create a system uh, it's going to work the way you've created it and unfortunately this system is is created in a way that it caters to our darker angels. Um For example uh, they have you know the whole the way everybody's compensated is by getting assets under management so the the focus of companies that I have been involved with but but many companies really is just to see how many assets they can get under management rather than really focusing on what's good for the client.
1: Are there other places in the world that do it better or is this kind of a universal problem around the world
2: um I don't, I'm not, I don't know of a place that necessarily does it better. Australia has, uh, has better laws for, um, for investors than any other place that I have seen. It certainly has better corporate governance laws. Um, but there are places that are, uh, that are worse. There are places that are, that are better. Um, uh, but I would say it's fairly ubiquitous throughout, throughout this industry.
1: Now, there's been a proposal, more than a proposal, it looks like it's going to go into effect, of a so-called fiduciary rule from the Department of Labor which is going to mean that uh, financial advisors are going to have to put the client's interest first before their own. So is it, people think that's the solution to all the problems you're talking about. What would be the impact of that if that goes through?
2: Well, I think if it does go through, and and it is a it is a fiduciary change for 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 many people, um, and it is a, a a rule that can be implement, implemented by the president, so uh, I think it, it will be implemented. Um, what what it does is is it it, it essentially uh, makes folks who are financial advisors uh, for uh, people who are in the in retiring or have retirement accounts, it makes them have to uh... elevate their fiduciary responsibilities so, where they put their interest first. Um there uh... there are a lot a lot of things that are very positive about that obviously um... but there are still some things that are that are lacking there and i think it's unfortunate because uh, a lot of the bill has been sort of picked away at um, for example uh... i think the biggest area where there's still some, uh, I think, some real conflicts of interest problems, uh, is, is called revenue sharing. Um, and I don't know, uh, Jordan, if you're familiar with, with revenue sharing. Yeah, why don't you explain it a little bit? Well, revenue sharing is where someone who is the, uh, is, is the uh, owner of a fund, a mutual fund, uh, essentially pays the administrator of a 401k to get onto the menu um so rather than um what's on the menu for a, a given uh, employer uh for a in a given workplace has been chosen for the employee it's actually chosen by the mutual fund uh, owners or sponsors uh and they've paid for it uh, and of it's course like that, that's that's there's terrible conflicts in that for for very obvious reasons and What's happening with the DOL ruling, what the industry is lobbying for, is to essentially be able to continue to have revenue sharing as long as it's disclosed. Well you and I both know that you can disclose something in the fine print that's on page 65 that's completely illegible and then it's considered disclosed. So I think that's one of the areas where unfortunately it won't solve all the problems.
1: Why has the industry been so virulent against this fiduciary standard? I mean, you think it wouldn't be hard for them to say working the client's interest is a good thing?
2: Well, I, well, I, I, I think the biggest problem is uh, that it uh, reduces their capacity to charge high fees. It, if they can't pay to be on the... On the, uh, uh, on the menu, uh, for a 401k, then they're gonna have to put on, um, uh, index funds or mutual funds that charge less fees. So I, I think the, the, the there's also some additional costs associated with it. Um, but those costs are, are already absorbed by what are, what are called registered investment advisors. So there's already a very profitable mo- model that has a higher fiduciary standard. But I think the industry is concerned that those fees are going to cut into their profits, those, those costs that they would have.
1: What they also say is that it would make it prohibitively uh, – wouldn't make market sense to deal with lower and middle-income investors that all the attention would go to high-income investors – Because it wouldn't pay to deal with if they have all these new regulations. Is that uh, correct or not?
2: Yeah, that is correct. And I think the, uh, I mean, that, in my opinion, is uh, a bogus argument. uh, At at the end of the day, because what we we have to have a system where you don't have to put your client's interest first. um, uh, If they're poor, you only have to put their interest first if they're rich. Uh, That's that's a very poor system, and I think that's it's it's absolutely just not true. Uh, and it's, a, it's, I think, a, an unfortunate argument by the, by the
1: industry. Now, you begin your book with uh, what you call uh, an ownership's dream, ownership outsourced. So you're right. basically talking about how uh, the stock market particularly has gone from individual ownership of stocks to institutional through mutual funds and ETFs and 401ks. What has been the impact of that uh, change of ownership?
2: Well, I think the biggest change of impact is that you have intermediaries, um, and every one of those intermediaries uh, comes between the actual uh, investor and the investment. And uh, that has a, a series of uh, pejorative consequences uh, to the investor. Number one is the fees that they charge. And number two, a lot of investors don't even know what they're invested in. So they can be invested in a stock which, or a company that they disagree with um, or that they don't like at all. Uh, and then the third one is that then it, they are also separated from, uh, from their proxy, uh, from their ability to be able to vote uh, in companies in which they are invested.
1: You talk about the financialization of America. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, I, well, I think what happened was, from, especially from a retirement perspective, um we We went from what what used to be called the defined benefit system um, which were sponsored by employers uh where an employer essentially had a retirement plan set up for uh their uh employees that paid them a, a defined benefit when they retired. Uh, as As you know the you know, that particular system went bankrupt in a number of different ways and it was eventually had to be insured by the by the federal government so that system, in terms of creating new defined benefit benefit plans faded out. Uh, then came the defined contribution plan um, where the responsibility for uh, investing uh, uh, essentially uh, rested on the shoulders uh, of the actual employee. Uh, and the employee, a lot of the times was unfamiliar with the system, was overwhelmed by the system, um, felt that the complexity didn't allow them to have the time to be able to really think about it. So that spawned the intermediary class and the financialization uh, of uh, the American stock market uh, because these intermediaries came in and essentially provided advice, services, and products to, uh, to uh, folks who were in 401ks and IRAs and, and other retirement plans.
1: So you're saying basically the advice they've been giving has not been particularly good inside those defined benefit con- defined contribution plans.
2: Well, again, there's, you know, one thing is financial advice. That may or may not be good. But but what hasn't been, been uh, essentially uh, told to investors is how much it's costing them um, or what they're investing in or whether or not a particular advisor invests in the same stock that the uh employee or investor uh ha- has been put into these are all really important questions um, that any individual investor needs to know for example if you if you have uh $25,000 uh, and you're charged 1% over 35 years at a 7% return, that cost to you is $65,000. So 1% maybe doesn't sound like a lot of money when you're talking to your financial advisor, but it is a lot of money over a long period of time if you're trying to build your retirement account.
3: Supposedly and the re-
2: often if you look at a 401k, for example... Uh, The 401K has layers of fees, so the administrator gets paid, the administrator hires a manager, they get paid, then they put it into a mutual fund, the mutual fund gets a fee, and then, of course, the mutual fund is trading, so there are trading costs as well. That can get up to as high as 2.5%, which can be devastating uh, on the returns for potential retirees.
1: I mean, supposedly the the, uh, the, the solution for all this is index funds, where... They're passively managed, their fees are much lower, their management fees are much lower, and tons of money is going towards index funds. So why is that not the solution?
2: Well, I think there's, you know, the solution, uh, I think index funds go a long way towards uh, uh, a a solution. Um, But it's it's important to remember that, you know, first of all, all index funds are not the same. There are many, many index funds. Uh, there are certain charges associated with index funds that are also like other mutual funds that are not disclosed, for example, like trading costs um, also I think the the other big issue uh, with with mutual funds is again, nobody really knows what they own uh, what they own because nobody could possibly uh, understand and go through every single stock that they uh, that is owned in an index fund, um, and then at the end of the day you, you have a problem, and that is how do you pick the index fund? How does an individual investor uh, understand which index fund is best for them? That's a really difficult question. And, of course, the only way to really answer that is to hire an advisor, and you have to pay the advisor a fee in order to get that answer. So uh, I think index funds uh, are a a step uh, in the right direction, um, but I don't think they're necessarily the answer.
1: Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Bobby Monks. Uh, He is a serial entrepreneur, and he is the author of a new book called Uninvested, How Wall Street Hijacks Your Money and How to Fight Back. There's a website related to that book, which is uninvestedthebook.com. We'll be back after this.
3: It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA PressPass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking
4: business consultant and author, working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bobby Monks. He's a serial entrepreneur and author of a new book called Uninvested, How Wall Street Hijacks Your Money and How to Fight Back. There's a website related to the book which is uninvestedthebook.com. Welcome back to the show, Bobby. Thank you. So we were talking a little bit about the whole shift from defined benefit pension plans into 401ks. Now, this has happened more in the private sector. In the public sector, there's still a lot of defined benefit plans. But overall, is this, is this a, a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, you could say it's giving people uh, more choice in how they invest, people getting matched. Uh, They can uh, transfer these assets from one place to another. I mean, there are some things that are good about defined contribution plans as well.
2: Yeah, I I think that's right. And I I, I think it's also important to understand uh, the distinction uh, between public and, and private plans, uh, the, the defined contribution plan, uh, as far as public plans, may survive. I mean, sorry, the defined benefit plan, as far as public uh, plans are concerned, uh, may survive and continue. I think, really, the, the, the plans that that I see that are going to sunset over time are, are the defined contribution plans, as it applies to uh, the private sector, which are called the ERISA plans. Uh, defined benefit
1: plans. You said defined contribution. You meant? Oh,
2: I apologize. Defined yeah. benefit plans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, the defined benefit plans under ERISA for the for the private sector. Um, and you know the the reason for the, the the demise of those plans really is that they became uh, uh unaffordable uh, for the uh, for the actual employer um, they were they were underfunded uh for, for many years and, and as I mentioned earlier jordan uh, they are they are now uh, insured by the federal government. Um so it's it's highly unlikely there will be uh... many of those uh... And we will see many of those in the future uh... from the private sector um... i think uh... the genesis of moving to the 401k uh... and to other like retirement plans uh... was to uh... put more control uh... in the hands of the individual investor um... but also to take the responsibility away from the employer uh, so uh, what, what happened was that the, uh, the employer was, was, was no longer in a position where they were guaranteeing a retirement uh, for the average investor, um, and that fell into the hands uh, of the uh, individual investor in the 401K and the IRA. Unfortunately, uh, uh, what happened was that the individual investors I mentioned earlier um, was faced with a lot of investment decisions uh, about which they were unprepared to answer. Uh, And so enter uh, the financial services industry uh, to provide a whole eclectic array of different products um, that uh, the 401K uh, investor could invest through a mutual fund, index funds, ETFs, um, et cetera, all with corresponding uh, uh, fees uh, and uh, essentially departure uh, from the investor and what he's investing in. So at the end of the day, the 401K, I think, provided a, a, a necessary sort of step, uh, but, but unfortunately what it did is it reduced the ability of the average investor to be able to realistically uh, uh, put away enough money for their retirement. And so, so now you, we you, have a situation you, um, where we have uh, you know, millions of people who are, are ready to retire and, and don't have enough money.
1: So you're saying that the bottom line is people are going to end up with a lot less money in their defined contribution 401k plans than they would have gotten had the defined benefit plans continued uh, be- because they d- weren 't good at investing it and there was less money going into defined contribution yes, than defined yes, that 's
2: exactly right and there was you know there, there was a less of a an intermediary structure, so there were less fees charged the individual investor um, and so uh, at the at the end of the day, uh, a lot of the times because of the 401 because of revenue sharing um, The average uh, employee or investor uh, was invested in a you know a high fee mutual fund that wasn't necessarily appropriate for them.
1: This wasn't the idea of ERISA in the first place. The Employment Retirement Security Act of 1974. It was supposed to stabilize defined benefit plans and make them more widely available. What happened? Why did it not work that way?
2: Well, it was. It's one of those. It's one of those great ironies of of government regulation. uh, that had the, a perverse effect, uh, what what the answer, what the government did was they essentially forced uh, the defined uh, benefit plans to have more reserves, um, uh, and those reserves were considerable. And, of course, uh, that cost the companies a lot of money. It cost many companies way too much money. They were way overfunded. They couldn't come up with reserves. So many of the defined uh, uh, benefit uh, plans uh, ended up uh, in in, a, in bankruptcy, uh, and then, as I mentioned earlier, Jordan. Then the the next solution in order to protect the workers was to uh, create an insurance program for those plans.
1: But what is the strength of the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation (PBGC), which is the insurance plan for defined benefit pensions? Is it in strong shape or not so strong?
2: Um, you know, it, it really depends on who you ask and when. Um, uh... I, I, I would say that it that it's underfunded, um, but uh, a lot of that depends on what kind of actuarial tables you use, uh, and uh, what kind of returns you project. Um, and you know, the the big problem with with retirement really is, is nobody's fault. Uh, there there are uh, you you have now what's called longevity risk. Um, and longevity risk is the fact that nobody can really predict how long people are going to live because we are incrementally living longer. Um, and so not, not only do you have investment risk, but you have this, this, this longevity risk. And so that is very, very hard to predict. Um, and uh what's happened over the course of the, of the last uh 25 years is uh the lo- you know people's longevity's gone up as much as 5 years well that has a tremendous effect uh on both the insurance corporation and on the defined uh, benefit plans um because they have an obligation to keep paying the money out um, so my own feeling about it is that it's underfunded; um, that they that they have not really looked at the you know the overall cost. Um, but there's there are other folks out there that believe it is funded enough.
1: Now, now the industry says that the solution to the four hundred and one k problem, giving them all these options, is education, and so they do seminars. They send the vendors and do seminars to explain all these options to employees. You're saying that that's not really adequate to, to the job.
2: Well, you know, I, I I think there's you know that that opens up a kind of can of worms in a way um, uh, because what what I am saying is is something different than education as far as being financially literate uh, and I think financially financial literacy is a good thing and that everybody if they have time should should do that. What what I am saying is you need to be literate about how the system works. Um, because you need to be engaged with the, the person who's, who's managing your money. You, you need to ask them the question, do they have to put my interest first? Uh, what are the actual fees that I'm be, being charged? Are there fees that are un- undisclosed? Um, do you as a manager invest in the same stocks you've asked me to invest in? Do you get paid if I lose money? Um, can you tell me what I'm invested in? And can you give me a report that I can actually read? And are you going to vote my proxy? Those are really, really, really important questions that the investor needs to do, and they need to engage in a dialogue with their money manager to do that. Part of the reason for that is because they can, if they don't like what that money manager is saying, they can go next door. There are other options. Um, And there is what's called fee compression right now, um, where fees are actually going down. So uh, money managers are starting to negotiate uh, uh, with their clients so that they actually get a better deal. I think that that really is probably the most important decision you're going to make about your money management. Financial literacy is also important, um, um, but I think that's a secondary uh, uh, step you have to take. And and, and many folks don't have the time to be able to actually understand what is an incredibly complex system now. Um, And so uh, I, I think that Again, I would put engagement with your money manager, whoever does it for you, um, is the first step. And then the second step would be to, uh, to educate yourself and become financially literate.
1: Now, next you have a whole chapter, what you call from watchdogs to lapdogs, talking about the regulators right. overseeing things. Right. So we've got the SEC. We've got new regulations from the Dodd-Frank, massive amounts of new regulations. You've got the Cons- uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. CFTC, and there seems to be a huge amount of regulatory action in Washington. Why are they now lapdogs instead of watchdogs? Well, I think the first one you need to
2: take, take into account is FINRA. Um, and, uh, you know, FINRA is the self-regulatory organization um, uh, that, that oversees uh, many investment managers. Um, and by self-regulatory, it, it is paid for by the industry. Um, and again, there's an, there's an inherent conflict of interest in that. Um, if you are paid to regulate uh, the, 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 the folks um, that are regulating that you are regulating, then it's it's hard not it's hard to overcome who is paying you. Um, and so, Finra, I think, for example, uh, has not supported this DOL ruling, which I think is very telling. Um, they're supposed to be in it for the investor, but they're actually in it for the industry because the industry is paying them. So that's one area. Um, the, the second area is is the is the SEC, um, and the the SEC is, I think, uh, I would say, overwhelmed um, by all the regulation uh, that they have to oversee, and therefore, I believe, don't do a very good job in terms of uh, in terms of regulating. Um, uh, in terms of giving us uh, assurances that they are actually overseeing all that they need to oversee, let me give you an example. Um, mutual funds are, are are supposed to be written in what's called plain English, um, so that any investor can understand them. Well, I don't know if you've read any prospectuses for mutual fund recently, but they're anything but plain English. Nobody yeah. could understand them.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so the SEC has just fallen down on that because they're overwhelmed. I think the the other problem is that if you look at the regulatory history of uh, the financial uh, industry um, it goes from being. Overregulated to underregulated to overregulated to underregulated, um, and and so you've had this sort of seesawing of regulation, rather than the, the parties getting together and and sitting down, uh, all the players, including you know the investors in the form of pension funds and individuals, uh, and coming up with regulation that really makes sense, um, rather re- than just reacting to any you know to the most recent crisis. Um, Very good.
1: Speak. We're going to have to take a break. We're going to have to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Bobby Monks. His book is called Uninvested, How Wall Street Hijacks Your Money and How to Fight Back. Uh, there's a website related to the book, which is uninvestedthebook.com. We'll be back after this.
4: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll free, 866 472 5790. 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day, and we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time.
3: It's just a click away at vaPresspass.com. That's vapresspass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access all the time. From the boardroom
4: to you. Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My uh, guest this hour is Bobby Monks. Uh, His new book is called Uninvested, How Wall Street Hijacks Your Money and how to fight back. There's a website related to the book, which is uninvestedthebook.com. Welcome back to the show, Bobby. Thank you. So we were talking about regulatory, uh, how they're kind of overwhelmed. We talked about FINRA a little bit. You say the SEC is overwhelming. One big embarrassment for them is when the Bernie Madoff uh, thing hit. Are there other right. situations like that where you think they're just really not on top of it and there are these enormous scandals about to blow up that they're not really on top of?
2: Well, sir Certainly, you know the uh, the credit default swap uh, was was one that I think was uh, missed not just by the SEC but by everybody um, and I, and I think the, the the big problem with the that the SEC has is that at this point they 're underfunded um, If you look at the tech department, for example for the SEC and you compare that to the tech department for somebody like goldman sachs um, it 's considerably smaller uh and so they have this uh i would say overwhelming uh job to do uh in terms of re- you know regulating this industry uh and they really don't have the manpower or the funds to be able to do it
1: and how about the uh cfpb the consumer protection financial bureau which was formed as part of the dodd frank are they doing a good job
2: i think the jury's out there i mean I, and, and again i think you know i think it it was an, in reaction to uh what was a terrible thing for consumers um, and uh, for a lot of you know real uh, a lot of loans that were put out that that ended up obviously going into default and that that hurt a lot of people and a lot of investors so I think um, it was the intention of the law was good um, the 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 problem is you know as I think I mentioned earlier jordan is that uh, the way that we regulate in this country is we swing from over-regulating to under-regulating, and, and I think the jury's out to determine whether or not that is going to be over-regulation. Um, I think in terms of small banks, it's going to be tough <laughs> uh, because it's it's in some ways it's meant for for larger banks, but it's going to also hit some of the local banks, and I think that's that that those are the folks it's going to be hardest on.
1: On a, a bigger scale. Do you think that the Dodd-Frank regulations, everything that's come since, have taken out what would be called systemic risk, Uh, too big to fail? They've got all these boards now to see if there's any systemic risk, particularly with where the world economy is now kind of teetering in various ways with China and so on. Are you sanguine or not sanguine about the ability of regulators to deal with big systemic risks?
2: You know, as I as I as I say in the book, I interviewed Barney Frank for this book, and so I I had an opportunity to be able to ask him that question, and he of course said that it absolutely was the case um, that it that it that it would uh, deal with systemic risk. Um, my my personal belief is that the he, he went a long way towards dealing with that problem, so I think that the populace can breathe a sigh of relief. Um, uh, I and I think that there's it's we're much closer to that now, um, but I think that you can you can never eliminate uh, either risk in general or systemic risk. It's it's always going to be there. There there are always occasions when it it's potentially can overwhelm whatever laws we have. So I, I think you know did it go a long way towards resolving the problem? Yes. Um, did it go? Uh, did it solve the problem in its entirety? No. I don't think it did. And I, and I think you know one of the things that it, that I Abdicate in the book, um, and part of this stemmed from my uh, from being the chairman of Institutional Shareholder Services, which voted proxies for uh, institutional clients and often voted a great uh, uh, a, a number of you know a huge number of uh, proxies in any given proxy contest. Um, so we had considerable power is that the the investors need to stand up the investors need to become engaged with the process um, and not just institutional investors but individual investors and start asking questions um, because the regulators at the end of the day are 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 only one piece of the stool and uh, i believe the investors are another leg to the stool
1: what what uh, kind of unseen risk do you see out there now and last time it was the blow up of the subprime mortgages and the credit default swaps and all the leverage in the system there that brought down bear stearns and lehman brothers and aig and all that what what is building now that you think could be a systemic risk to the system um
2: i mean i think that's that's the million dollar question right now i'm i'm not sure uh I'm not sure anybody really knows the answer to that. Uh, the, the most obvious one, however, is China. Uh, um, and if, if you, if you look at how over-leveraged their system is, um, it's, it's pretty scary. Uh, and so I think that, um, you know, that's, that's obviously one of the biggest risks that folks have to look out for. Um, and I think in in, in this country, uh, you you always have the possibility of um, you know of too much debt, and we're we're in an environment where the interest rates are very low. Uh, and uh, when the interest rates are very low, uh, real estate, for example, is the prices are very high because people can afford to pay at a higher price. And at some point, those interest rates are going to go up, and when they do, you're going to have a a potential deflation. So, and the the all that debt is going to be much more expensive, uh, and that's across the board. Um, you know, that's from commercial debt to real estate debt to student loans to credit card debt. Um, and so, when you have an environment where you have artificially low interest rates, uh, it's always. Uh, a, something you have to be very careful of um, um, when the interest rates start to go back up again.
1: Indeed. Very good. Now, you uh, end your book with uh, not only complaining about all the things that are wrong, but ways to do things better. So let's talk about that a little bit. It's called A Better Way to Invest. And you say there are some different ways of doing it. So you go through what you call Willard's Way. So what do you mean by Willard's Way is A Better Way to Invest?
2: Well, well, I think I think again. You know, as 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 I said earlier in the show, uh, the, the the first thing that you can do from a positive perspective is engage with whoever is uh, managing your money. Uh, and I outline a series of questions that folks can uh, can ask. And I, I also, if you go to my website and you and you don't want to ask those questions, where well, you can fill in your money manager's email and we'll send them out for you. Um, I think once once you've gone through that process uh, and identified, you know, what uh is identified and understand what the consequences are uh in terms of investing through uh, your money manager or your financial advisor, then one of the things that uh you can consider is is, uh, is investing yourself. Um, and as Warren Buffett said, uh invest in companies you know and hang on to them for a long time. And I'm not I'm not giving people financial advice. I'm just telling them that's one particular option that they should look at um, uh, the the fees are very low, obviously for that um, and you are uh, you know the companies you're invested in um, you're engaged with with those companies um, uh, and uh you uh have the ability to be able to uh uh control when those companies are actually sold and bought from a tax perspective. Um, and you know the big the big uh reason why everybody says we well, should invest in index funds or mutual funds um, is that uh you should be diversified. Uh and uh I think that's uh there's some wisdom to that, but uh at, at the end of the day as we noticed in the, in the recent little blip, um, you know, the markets are very, very correlated. Some say 80% correlated. So they don't necessarily diversify you. And you can also invest in companies that are very diverse. Um, uh, you know, Google is a very diverse uh, company. Um, Walmart is a very diverse company. Uh, they invest all over the world. So you can diversify by investing in individual stocks.
1: You actually recommend something called the Cooperative Investment Partnership, Maybe That's describe what that, is, what that is and how that can help people uh, with their investing.
2: Well, I, I think what, what a, a cooperative investment partnership is, is, is where the, the it's, a, it's essentially having a money management company that is a mutual corporation. And a, a mutual corporation is, is where the actual customers own the company. Um, so that at the end of the day, if there are profits, those profits are given back to the individual investor.
1: Is this done like at Vanguard? Vanguard is run that way. Is that correct?
2: Um, yeah, Vanguard is is similar to that. That's correct. That's correct. Um, some of the Vanguard funds are this is a, this is a little bit different because it wouldn't be as, as obviously as big as Vanguard. It would be for uh, for smaller companies, um, and so that if you went to your to a registered investment advisor, for example, or to your financial advisor, their company, that if there were the essentially, the profits for those companies would be redistributed back to the customers.
1: Do, are, do a lot of these corporate investment partnerships exist around the country?
2: No, there, there are there are actually there are uh, only a few, uh, there's only uh, one that really that I know of right now. But it's something that I am um, st- uh, pushing forward with and and um, uh, starting in the next uh, couple of months.
1: I see. So if people want to find out more about it. Uh, they go to your website, or how how would they find they out more about it?
2: They go to my it? website. That's correct.
1: Which is BobbyMonks.com. That's
2: correct.
1: Okay, um, it's, it sounds similar to, to like a mutual insurance company where. That's
2: that's exactly correct. I, I sat on the board for of a mutual insurance company. It was a Workman's Comp company, um, and and it and it worked it worked very well. Um, and uh, it was really from that experience that I thought, well, why don't we translate this, this off to the, to the financial world so that rather than, you know, the Goldman Sachs of the world, no offense to Goldman Sachs, but rather than them making, you know, all the money that the actual customers make the money. Um, and, and so that and it aligns everybody's interest in a way um, that is not, is not true in today the way the system works today.
1: It sounds somewhat similar to an investment club as well, I mean, on a bigger scale. That
2: that is correct. I I would say that the closest analogy to it in today's world really is the family office.
1: Mm.
2: Um, And uh, a lot of families, sometimes individual families, wealthy families, um, have gotten together and created a family office so that they collectively own the company. And what I'm saying with a SIP is that it's like a family office except for it's a broader definition of family.
1: Okay. Very good. All right. We're going to come back after the break and talk about seven ways to reinvest in addition to the Corporate Investment Partnership. Uh, My guest this hour is Bobby Monks. His new book is called Uninvested, How Wall Street Hijacks Your Money and How to Fight Back. There is a website related to the book, which is uninvestedthebook.com. We'll be back after this.
4: Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
3: What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because there's more challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business.
4: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back
1: to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bobby Monks. Uh, He is a serial entrepreneur and he is the author of a new book called Uninvested How Wall Street Hijacks Your Money and How to Fight Back. Welcome back to the show, Bobby. Thank you very much. So now we're in the fighting back section here, and you have seven ways to reinvest, to kind of take control of your finances in a way that you're not doing if you're just in mutual funds. The first one is to invest in your values. What do you mean by that? Well,
2: well, I think at the end of the day, one of the as I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the problems with mutual funds is that you're invested in a whole bunch of different stocks you don't know anything about. Um, and, and I think if you, if you look at what your values are, uh, in terms of what you believe in, uh, and that, that can range from, you know, environmental issues to work-related issues um, to product-related issues um, that you're better off. So I- invest in companies that you feel good about, that make you feel positive, that make you feel like they're going to do uh, make you money but also, you know, benefit the world and that, they're, that they're, they're run correctly and they're run honestly. I think that's really important, not just for the individual investor but also for for our country.
1: Do you be, believe that socially conscious uh, mutual funds do a good job of, of doing that for people?
2: Um, you know, I think they 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 do. Yes, I do. I think there 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 are definitely benefits from that. I think uh, you know the the it's important to understand that when you're in now when you're investing in a socially beneficial uh, mutual fund, that essentially you're given certain screens. Uh, for what concerns you, Um, and so that, uh, you know, if it's, for example, the environment, which is usually the largest one, um, and that's the screen that you want to use, then I think, yes, it's a very positive thing. Um, I don't think it deals with some of the issues as far as fees are concerned, but I do think in terms of the the broader aspect for the investor and for the country and and for all of us, I think it's a positive thing, yes.
1: Your next rule is to know your money manager. Uh, What is it that people don't know that they should know about their money managers?
2: Well, I, as, 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 as I think I mentioned earlier, the, the important thing about your your money manager that you should know is how much they're charging you, um, and and what is the what is the daisy chain of fees that you're that you're paying, um, and uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, is that uh, feel like a fair amount? And one of the things that is I think very positive right now in the market is that uh money managers uh because investors are standing up are are beginning to change the way they charge and they're beginning to reduce their fees so uh if you uh are not comfortable with what you're being charged and you've asked the question and uh, you either don't understand the answer because it's obscured or you don't like how much they're charging you, then you can go to a, go next door and ask the next person and I think you'll find that the, you you will have a a beneficial ear again because their uh, the fees are starting to go down um, and the 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 other thing that that's really important about uh about knowing your money manager is how they report um what they do and uh because a lot of the times the the reports that we get are are, are illegible um and so uh you you want to be able to go to your money manager and say look this is how much money i had at the beginning of the year um you know this is how much fees i paid these are. This is what. This is how many taxes I paid, right? and and this is what I got at the end of the year, and so um, it's it's really important that you feel as an investor comfortable with what the reporting is like.
1: Your your next one is to seek out conflict-free information. What do you mean by that, and what are some sources to find conflict-free information?
2: Well, I, I think that's uh, it's also a question you can ask your money manager. But the the traditional uh, mechanism by which analysts determine whether uh, a bond or a stock is good, um, uh, in in terms of um, uh, a company, uh, as far as stocks are concerned, to start with, um, are the are the annual audits. Um, but the problem with the annual audits um, is that the corporations are actually paying the auditors. Uh, so again, you have a a, a conflict there. Um, some money managers go the next step and uh, they hire independent forensic auditors uh, to look at a company um, and So the investor is actually paying. Um, uh, for uh, so, so that they understand what the actual numbers say rather than taking it from an audit which the corporation has paid for. And I think it's, the big distinction here is who pays for the analysis of the numbers. Um, is the corporation paying for that or are the investors? And uh, it's important to understand that it's better to have the investor actually pay because it's an independent uh, entity that is uh, making those determinations.
1: And what are some of the sources that are independent like that that people could go to?
2: Well, well there, there are, there are. You can hire, uh, you can hire a forensic accounting firm, for example. Um, you can hire a, a, you can hire any accounting firm um, that that uh, a, a, a essentially looks at uh, the audits uh, of the company and goes through those and does a forensic process.
1: The ones you mentioned um, in the book are uh, global impact investing rating system, MSCI, and gimme credit. Those are the three you mentioned in the book.
2: Well gimme credit is for bonds. They do independent bond research. Um, and you know one of the I, I think the point is 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 somewhat and somehow better made as far as bonds is concerned, because you remember, you know, the bond rating agencies um, all rated the credit swaps triple A. Uh, so it's hard to believe that we're in a system where we still trust that um, and give me credit is is essentially a company that does bond ratings um, that is independent.
1: Yeah. Uh, and and you, your next we have, we're running out of time here. So your, your next one is to know the contents of your portfolio and hold them accountable. So just t- talk briefly about how to do that.
2: Well, I, well, I think that uh, the um, it, it, it's important that you know. For example, if you're. Um, um, if you are an advocate for uh, the environment um, and uh, your money manager has you invested in an in, in Exxon, um, then you need to hire them, you need to hold them accountable for um, why they've actually put you in this company. Um, and uh, if they have put you in this company, um, are they going to vote uh, their, uh, their proxy in a way that you feel comfortable with?
1: Then you say to vote your proxy. Uh, do a lot of people not vote their proxies? They just don't think it's significant?
2: Well, I think, there's, I think the, uh, for, for, for many years you would get a proxy, and it was this, uh, this huge document, and most folks did not have the time or the, or the inclination to read through it. I think one of the really exciting things about proxy voting now is, is because of technology, it's become simpler and simpler and simpler. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, and not only have, the, have uh, the proxy services made it simpler for individuals to vote, um, but also the corporations have. Um, they've vastly improved their websites. So, so I now think it's quite feasible for folks to be able to to inv- to vote their proxy. And, and remember. When you're voting a proxy, there are usually only one or two questions that are really important. Um, And so what you want your money manager to do is identify those questions and then vote those proxies in ways that align with your interests.
1: And then you say to add up the fees you pay, uh, how, how does the average person do that?
2: Well, again, I think they have to uh, they have to sit down with their money manager, and they have to say they have to ask um, what is the fee that you charge? What is the fee the mutual fund charge? What are the trading costs associated with uh, uh, with uh, getting in and out of the mutual fund? And then what are the what are the what, how how much turnover does the actual t- uh, mutual fund have? Turnover means how much they've actually been trading. And so you have to, they should add all those fees up to, for you and tell you what they are. And if they can't do that, go to another uh, company because that, that is not all that difficult to do. And they, and they, they should be able to do that for, for uh, the average investor.
1: In a minute or so we have left, why don't you just kind of sum up the whole situation, the problem that we've talked about, and the solutions?
2: Well, the problem that we've talked about is really that the system has evolved so that we have these financial intermediaries. And these financial intermediaries have systematically taken advantage of the average investor in multiple ways, which I described, the biggest one being the number of fees they charge. The, the short answer to how to deal with that is to, in, to become engaged with your money manager. Sit down with them. Ask the questions that I outline in the book and make sure that you understand the answers. And if you either don't understand the answers or you don't like the answers, go next door and ask the next person. You can get a better deal. You, you can, can take control of your money um, if you engage with the folks that manage your money.
1: Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Bobby Monks. His book is called Uninvested, How Wall Street Hijacks Your Money, and How to Fight Back. There is a website related to the book, which is uninvestedthebook.com. You can also go to Bobby's website at com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Bobby. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.